I don't know how I feel about giving an opportunity. I think the opportunity is there for you to take. And, and, and that, that's, that's tricky, right? It, it, sometimes you are given an opportunity and you should run with it and you should feel very lucky. But most of the times you have to go seek the opportunity. Fierce Lab is a podcast series for women. It's powered by the Tara Wilson Agency, the agency that gets women. It's a space to focus on our whole selves, from mental health to career development to financial intelligence. To be fierce is to be confident, capable, and strong. Fierce Lab offers inspiration, tools, and community. It's where we can explore new ideas and encourage discovery. Here, trying something new is celebrated. No one has it all figured out, but together, we can step fiercely into what's next. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Fierce Lab. I am Tara Wilson, your host, and today I'm joined by Kata Lara. She is the Director of Sales for the Southern Region of EJ Gallo Winery. Hi, Kata. Welcome. Tara, how are you? I'm good. I'm Thank so glad you. you're here. Thank doing you for having it. me. Yes, of course. It's I, I'm so excited to get an opportunity to share your story with our podcast listeners. I know you have been a longtime supporter of Fierce Lab. And earlier this year for Women's History Month, you joined us for a live event and we got to tell some of your story. And so I'm really excited that we're going to get to extend it to the entire community. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Great. So I just want to give a bit of background on you to kind of catch our listeners up to what I know about you. So you were born and raised in Bogota, Colombia, and you started your journey here in the U.S. at Tulane University, which is over in New Orleans, one of my favorite cities, by the way. I can't wait to hear what you think about that city. But you went to Tulane and you were a college athlete. You played golf and then on top of that, you had a double major in marketing and management. What was that time like for you over at Tulane? It almost feels like a lifetime ago, but I will tell you, it was absolutely wonderful. And I'd go back to New Orleans tomorrow if I could. It was such a special time in life and such a special city. So yeah, I was born and raised in Bogota. So my first language is Spanish. I did go to a bilingual school. I went to a British school in Colombia. And so that's where I learned English. And I will say that because I think there's a difference of learning English as a second language. And then when you actually live in English. And so that was one of like my first big hurdles. I spoke English. I had received a lot of years of classes in English, but when you step into school and now you're living in English is a different story. So I graduated school and was recruited by Tulane to come play for them. And I was 17, so I was very young and moved to New Orleans into a dorm where I was met with my roommates. And you'll hear a little bit more about my roommates, but they are all from the United States. And obviously, English is their first language. So that was my first big shock, learning how to communicate, how to live, how to think, how to operate my entire life in English was a, a little bit of a awakening for me, but it was great. I played all four years and had an amazing time and developed great relationships. And during that time, I had an opportunity, I had great mentors 
um, in the athletic department. And one of them advised that I interviewed with a company called Gallo Winery. Oh, so now we're getting into how you got to Gallo. I love this. Yeah. So I, I started interviewing for Gallo, not knowing much about wine, nothing about the industry and barely of age to drink. So, <laughs> And at so, that time, was the drinking age in New Orleans different from where it was, but the drinking age in other places? Like some some cities, some states used to have like an 18 and over versus a 21. Yeah. Louisiana was 18, but when I graduated, it had already changed to 21. And so I started my interview with Gallo and it went really well. You know, the first interview, the person who interviewed me, wanted to talk about golf and wanted to know everything about my team. And I will back up a second. When I started doing my resume, and I think this is important to point out, when I started doing my resume and really that senior year where you have all the fear of, you know, I have to start a career, I have to get a job. You know, I've never left out off campus. I didn't own a fork. So, oh, right, right, right. You, so <laughs> loan to out, outfit an entire apartment, right? Yeah. So um, I started doing this and I realized that my resume was empty. I'd done nothing in life other than play golf. So I had a lot of fear in me and a lot of doubt. And part of me thought that I had wasted a lot of time. And so I think back on that time and I'm like, you know, if I could go back and tell that girl to not feel that way, I would. Mm, of course, of course. And I'm so glad you bring this up. The fear and the doubt, especially that we have at an early age. And also want to back up further that you being a woman who English was your second language when you came to our country. Today's topic with you is really around taking risks and building your career and and the intersection of the two. And from an early age, you were taking risks, whether you knew it or not at the time, right? But you were you were putting yourself out there, coming to a country where you knew no one, stepping into a D1 collegiate athlete experience. And then even when you're moving, transitioning into full-time work post-college, you know, you you were putting yourself out there, taking a risk to your point of not having built anything on your resume at that point. How does it feel for you now as an accomplished woman to look back at that young 21-year-old that you were and to your point, knowing what you know now and telling her these things? What does that feel like for you? I wish I would have not taken it so seriously. (laughs) I wish I would have not stressed out so much. I will tell you, Tara, I was... I have been surrounded and I have been blessed to have a lot of people supporting me all through my career, my school career, my high school career, my family was, it's a tremendous support still. And I tell people, you know, I am a, I am a team player. Everything in my life is a team sport. I don't do alone, you know, and and you and I have talked about that. I, I don't do alone. I, I, everything for me is a team and I have a lot of people that support me when I don't, I look around and I engage whoever's there. Mm. So Ooh, that's, that's, a good that's point. what I do. But when you don't have a team, you look around and you find those that are there and you engage them. I think that's that's really valuable to point out that sometimes you don't have that built-in team or support system and you got to work with what you've got. Is that is that what you mean when you say that? Yeah, absolutely. And I will tell you a few stories. So 
let me back up when I was going back to building that resume. So I was very afraid because I had nothing to put on that resume. And my counselor at the athletic department said, don't worry. You, they, you just go interview with them and just, it'll be fine. So I started going through this interviews and the person who was interviewing me, like loved talking to me. Like he loved talking about golf and I'm like, okay. And then he said, well, you know, I really want you to meet my boss. I'm like, okay. So I go and interview with his boss and it went really well. And he wanted to talk about golf and he wanted to talk about my team and he wanted to talk about my classes. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I, I don't know anything about wine. <laughs> And so then I was invited to a recruiting conference where there was a lot of people and I went through several, a lot of interviews. It was panels of five or seven people and they were each interviewing me and it went really well. And when I got to the last interview, I finally kind of had to stop them. I said, Hey, you know, this is going really well, but I want to make sure you know that I don't know anything about wine. I'm like, I want to make sure that you know that I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anything about wine. I have no experience, but I will learn faster and I will study harder than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And I will win. Mm, I will win. And I bet and they so, were like willing to pour into you, weren't they? Well, he said something very interesting. He said, oh, no, we don't look for people with wine experience. We'll teach you that. We're looking for a person who has the correct attitude and who has their leadership skills. We'll teach you all about wine. We don't expect you to know about wine. You're barely 21. And so what a layer of comfort. I was like, okay, because I know that I will study harder than anybody else. And I will learn. I just didn't know. And I just needed somebody to take a chance on me. Just like my coach had taken a chance on me when I, it's when she started recruiting me out of Columbia, like I wanted to, tell this person how much I wanted to play for her. And I, and she took a chance and it literally, that's what it was. She took a chance on a person who didn't speak the language. Uh, she saw what I could bring to the team and she gave me an opportunity. And that's all I was asking for again, when I was looking for a job, I'm like, just give me an opportunity because I, I will take the opportunity and thrive. But sometimes that's all we need is somebody to support you through the one opportunity yep, and then just go. And that's right? a valuable lesson for any woman that listens to this podcast, whether she be a new college graduate or she be in the middle of her career. It's that you need opportunities and good leaders recognize talent and ambition and they reward that with opportunities. Talk to me about how you've taken that, how those individuals poured into you so early in your career and embrace that philosophy for yourself as a leader and how you pour into young women that come on board and work on your team. Can you talk a bit about some of the things I know you do for your team? Yeah. So I think it's important in a mentor-mentee relationship, which there's, there's different mentor-mentee relationships. There's formal ones, right? My company has a mentor-mentee relationship where you are assigned a mentor. And sometimes that works, right? And sometimes you have unassigned mentors that you identify people that you connect with and you can start building that relationship. But when you are in a mentor-mentee relationship, it is your responsibility as a mentee to build that. So I think a lot of times mentees, and I hear young people say, well, my mentor never reached out. 
Okay. Did you reach out? Did you make the effort to build that relationship? Because a lot of times the person who is the mentor is extremely busy and wants to help and wants to build the relationship. However, has conflicting schedule or timing or, you know, it's not that they don't care. Sometimes it's that it's very difficult for the timing. But if you take the first step as a mentee and you say, hey, I, I need your leadership. And I'm very straightforward with, with people that I, I've identified people throughout my career and throughout my life where I'm like, I, I need you to help me with this. And I, I think that there should be no shame in telling someone I need you. I need you to help me out. I need you to hear me out. Can we hash this idea out together? And many times as a mentor or even as a leader of a team, I often call my team. I'm like, hey, I need to talk this through with you and I need your opinion. And it goes both ways. Like so many times, I don't know who's mentoring whom because I'm learning just as much. <laughs> I love that. And and you're right about that. You You have to clearly take the lead as a, as a mentee. You can't expect the mentor to do all the work and it may feel uncomfortable. And I'm here to tell you as someone who mentors women, it is easier on me as the mentor if the mentee comes to me, if the mentee puts in that work. I am more willing and have more time to pour into the relationship when they're leading it, guiding it. They're not bothering me. You know, I think sometimes we can think, Oh, I don't want to bother them. And you're not bothering them. But you all, to your point, you have to ask for the help. You have to let people know what you need from them because everyone's busy and everyone, it sounds callous, but everyone's focused on themselves and what they've got going on in their lives. They're not worried about you. And it, they don't mean to be self-centered, but they're not thinking of you first, oftentimes. But when you plant the seed that said, says, this is what I need, this is how I hope that you could help me or listen to me or work through this with me, in my particular case, then I know where I need to go to give you the best value of, of having time with me. Yeah. And I have an example of that that really impressed me. Just within the last few weeks, I have two new mentees. It's, I have a lady in Mexico City who I am mentoring and a lady in Florida who I am mentoring through a program at work that, you know, we did a different way of going about mentees. And these are the the two people that I am mentoring. And I was so impressed before, you know, before we even met up or anything. I mean, obviously we're doing everything virtual. They live far away, but they each send me a short email describing their lives, their families, and what they wanted help with from the mentorship. So given each situation, each whatever might be, they said, I need help with this, I need help with that. So on the first call, I already knew exactly where to, what mindset to be on so that I could mentor this two different individuals at separate times. And it has turned out to be such a valuable relationship for me. I I really appreciate every time we have a call, I look forward to them. It has been amazing, but they are so organized that even before the first call, they introduce themselves in a very good way to where with the first email, I already knew so much about them and it was wonderful. So I, I, that's something I learned from them and I highly advise 
if you're look if you have a new mentor. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say. Some a woman listening to this might be thinking, "Hey, that's great, but we don't have a formal program at my work." And, you know, I I don't know who to reach out to or so hearing these tips, you don't have to have a formal program to be able to take away things that Kata is sharing and apply them in your own life. I would ask you, Kata, what would you recommend women do who don't have a formal program that they can plug into if they want to meet a woman like yourself or they're, they're, they want to get the guidance from a leader like you? I think that mentors are all around you, right? Not only for work. There will be mentors. If you are going through a pregnancy, you may find a person that recently had a baby. If you're going through a career change, you may have a friend that recently went through that. And so reaching out and and saying, just stating, if it's at work, if you identify someone who you admire, I think it's always wise to go to that person or contact that person and say, hey, I have a lot of respect for what you do. I'm going through the same. Would it be okay if you know, if we set aside some time and I can ask you some questions and in that way, you can start an unofficial mentorship relationship, but you have to take the first step. And as I said, you know, it could be anything. It could be, you know, with your bank, it can be anything. And I I bring that up because recently, a few years ago, I literally walked into my bank and I'm like, Hey, I need help. Mm -hmm. I do wine, you do money. I need help, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, uh, and they, set me up with a wonderful financial advisor who helped me organize what I wanted to do. And I am on track with those goals and I am happy and I am proud, but it was, I don't know how to do that. I had to go ask for help. And there are people who do that. Everybody has a job. Everybody has an expertise and it's just finding the person. And if you don't have the person, go to the organization that specializes in that and ask for the help. Mm-hmm. Speaking to that, there's a quote that I've been posting here in front of my computer and looking at every week. And it goes something like this. You can acquire any quality that you want by acting as though you already have it. Let me state that again. You can acquire any quality you want by acting as though you already have it. And where that has led me, is back to this point of there's there are skill sets that I don't have, things that I'm not doing well on my own. And so if I shift my mindset to I'm going to be better at this particular thing, let's let's use your example of managing money. I'm going to be better with money management, financial intelligence for myself as a woman. And I shift into that place. Then I start to see opportunities, resources, people that are going to align with me and help me get there because I've now framed this in my head as I can I can be better. I can do this. And I find that the that the things that I need to get better at that start to line up for me, start to appear in my life. You can call it the law of attraction. You can call it the universe at work for you. You can call it coincidence. You can call it God, whatever you choose. But I I do see that those things start to line up for me. And it's, it's amazing, but you have to have the recognition to your point that you need the help. Yes. I also would add to that, that once you identify what it is that you want to improve on, you will be more open to 
finding that. So for example, in, in my case, when I, when I had that objective to go get better financial intelligence, I immediately started shifting and following different people on Instagram. And then it's so easy. The information just was in my face. I could read it. I could absorb it in small pieces. And every time I opened my social media, I was learning a little bit at a time because it's overwhelming. I, I read a lot and I read a lot of financial books. I, I'm, I, I love how money works and I love reading and learning about money, but it's a lot, right? Uh, and it's hard for me. So shifting what I followed on social media, shifting what I read in the mornings, when you do a little bit every day, the addition of a little bit adds up to a lot. So I am a lot smarter today because three, four years ago, I made the decision that I was going to read a little bit every day about this topic. And so you can imagine four years every day is a lot. But what you cannot do is pretend to cram it and become an expert overnight because for topics such as career, financial intelligence, that takes time. It takes time. And so you should, you should try to find, or my advice to anybody would be, try to find small bits that can add up every day rather than trying to learn everything in a weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, the accumulation over time and positioning yourself so that you're getting the information and that information is meeting you where you are instead of you having to go out and constantly seek it out and expecting to be an expert in that moment. It's okay to be a beginner, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. And and there's no shame in being a beginner at anything. You're further ahead than the person who didn't begin. Exactly. Oh, I love that. No shame in being a beginner because you're further ahead than the person that didn't begin. Well, talking about beginnings and we, we were discussing that you knew nothing about wine when you came out of college and you started at Gallo, but it was a risk. And so how do you think of taking risks both in your professional as well as your personal life? I mean, I often want to know, do, do you have a rubric that you put like a risk through to see like if I'm going to do this or not? Like what's your point of view on on stepping out and doing something unknown? I don't. I follow my gut. I, I will uh, I will say that there are things that I feel something's not there, and then I try to not follow that. I won't tell you that I don't make mistakes because I make a lot. But again, life is a team sport for me. I consult everything with my husband, and sometimes when we have taken risks, and you know when we have moved, I, sometimes I've been hesitant, and uh, he has said why, and it's a conversation between the two of us of like, okay, what, what, what are we, why do, what do we stand to lose? What do we stand to gain? And I am a, I am a strong risk taker. I would say I am not a risk. Like I, I, I don't take a lot of risk, but I, I assess risk and I usually take them. Mm -hmm. I, I usually take them. And I also do the same with, with conflict. And I think conflict is something that when you're taking risks, come hand in hand because sometimes you know you have to have a tough conversation or you have to do something that you don't want to do and to me that is head first head first have the tough conversation first go in first 
If there is a difficult presentation to go do, I want to be there with my team. If there is a difficult news to go deliver, I want to be there. Yeah. Go first. That old expression, swallow your biggest frog first, comes to mind when you talk about, you know, that that there's going to be conflict, there's going to be hard things, tough things, and tackle it head on. So yeah, that's that's what comes to, comes to mind for me. Swallow your biggest frog first. We recently surveyed a group of Fierce Lab women that are part of our community, asking them what they feel is holding them back from reaching their career goals. And over 15% of them said, I haven't been given the opportunity. And I know you and I've talked about this on the side privately, you know, that concept of given an opportunity. What's your advice for women who that might be their perspective on their career path? I don't know how I feel about giving an opportunity. I think the opportunity is there for you to take. And, and, and that, that's, that's tricky, right? It, it, sometimes you are given an opportunity and you should run with it and you should feel very lucky. But most of the times you have to go seek the opportunity. So I would not wait for the opportunity. It depends on you know what we're talking about. But a lot of times, if you seek the opportunity, you will find it. You will find it, right? And that be at work or with a financial goal or with whatever it may be. But you have to start looking for it. The whole thought of like somebody's come is going to come and tap you on the shoulder. It could happen. It happens to many, but it happens to less than those that go find it. Mm-hmm. So the women in your organization, talk us through how you all approach opportunities, how you counsel and coach your team on coming to you for new opportunities, raising their hands for things they haven't done before. What does that look like? Give me some tangible takeaways that women can learn from how you coach your team in this regard. Well, I think first off, put yourself in the right spot. And what I mean by that is be the best at what you do, right? If you are the best at what you do, you're likely going to be on the short list and you want to put yourself in the short list. If you're middle of the road, you're probably not on the short list. And you need to work on getting yourself on the short list of candidates before you start raising your hand. So I think it's an honest conversation with yourself. Am I the best? Look around at your counterparts. Are you leading the way? Are you the person setting the standard? Or are you middle of the way and you're following? And if you're there, hey, again, no shame. What do you need to do to be the leader of the pack? And once you're there, then you're in the short list. And then you need to start voicing what you want. So I think that's very important. You should uh, have conversations with your boss or with your mentor about, hey, um, I really would like X position, or I really would like to move to this state, or I really would like to stay in this state, whatever it might be. Because mentors and bosses are always in the situation where they have to come up with backfills for certain positions, And if they had had that conversation with you, or if they know you're wanting to move to Kentucky and they hear of an opportunity, you're going to be the first one in their mind. I would say also share your success. If you do something well, send an email and share the success. I I think I love it when I get a message from my team and it says, hey, 
I want to share something really good today. I, I, I did this or I won here. Or, and I think that brightens my day. And I try to do that for my boss. So when I do something right, I usually share because as a, as a leader of an organization, most of the messages that you get are to fix a problem. And it is such a relief when you get an email that's a positive email that's, that shows somebody's success and that stays with you. So that's another way that you can promote your brand. You are a brand. You need to promote yourself and you need to build your brand and in a positive way, right? And sh- telling people that you did something successfully is not bragging. It's building your brand. And that's what that's the way we should look at it. I think women I don't know why we're we're taught not to, you know, don't don't brag, don't don't say, don't talk about yourself. And, and that's not, you know, guys don't think that way. Men don't think that way. They do not. When they win, they high five and they're loud about it. And we are not. And we need to take a page from that book and say, hey, you know what? My win was just as big. And here's my high five. I want you to share it with me. I want you to share my high five. This is what I did. And I won. Thus, you won because we're a team. Yeah. And surround yourself and we've seen all seen this little meme on social media, surround yourself with women who will mention your name in a room full of opportunities. You know, celebrate one another and then be sure that there are people on your side that are looking out for you and that are singing your praises when opportunities abound. That's so important. I loved also what you said about your brand and your personal brand. I'm curious, as we've evolved past 2020, we're now two years in to a different work environment and experience due to the pandemic. I'm noticing people's personal brands are shifting as well. I wonder what you're seeing in the way we work now versus how we used to work and how that's impacting a person's brand, how they're showing up in the workplace, how they're doing their job, and how you as a leader are experiencing those changes. Yeah, so I will say that we all went through quite a change. I think, you know, to find a person that has not been changed in some way by 2020 is is difficult. I have been very lucky or blessed, I would say, that everybody in my company, in my team, in my immediate team and in my larger team, Everybody was very excited to come back to work. It was kind of like, hey, that was a shake. We're happy to be back. You know, we're happy to be back. We're not back the same way. We're back in a better way. I think that we are more flexible and more understanding of each other. I think that we are more open with each other. And I think that's all good. I think it's all good to understand that people have families that they have commitments, that you have to go pick up a child, that your child has COVID, that you have COVID, that you have to take a meeting, you know, virtual versus in person. I think all of those changes are very positive changes. So I have been very fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of positive change after 2020. Even within my, you know, my family, we appreciate so much the time that we are together living in the United States and my entire family is in Colombia, I went almost a year 
almost a year and a half without seeing my family. And now I'm extremely close to my family. So that was tough. And now when I see them, even when I talk to them, it's, it's so, those moments are so treasured. I, I, I think it's important to me, you know, we teaching my mom how to use a video camera and being able to see her and all that stuff. That would have meant nothing before 2020. Right. And now it does. Yeah. How to use a QR code, how to get on a Zoom. I mean, I've done it all. I call it tech support. I am tech support and things have been escalated and, and happening quicker within our family. And the technology has advanced for my parents in a way. And so we've stepped in and helped. You know, something I want to go back to that you were talking about, about that we're all gentler with one another, more understanding with one another. And you were kind of giving some examples about being patient when someone has to take care of something with their children or those sorts of things. You know, I'm I'm often reminded that I think I need to speak up on this. I'm an adult without children. And there are plenty of women that talk to me about setting boundaries, even when they don't have kids. And I think it's acceptable. And I want to say that, state that publicly, that as a woman, whether you have a spouse or don't, whether you have children or not, it's okay for you to create boundaries too. Just because you don't have those things in your life doesn't mean that you can give up your personal space and freedoms or that your personal time is any less valuable than someone else's. And so I will share one of the things that I've started doing is carving out a dedicated amount of time in the evenings where I might normally be readily available or I'm just offline. I'm not available. doesn't matter that I'm not bathing a child or putting a kid in bed or going to soccer practice. The fact that I'm walking in my neighborhood, that's my business. And I, I think it's important to just share that it's, it's okay to set these boundaries as women, even if you don't fit this traditional mold. And I'm sure, Kata, you see that. You have people on your team that do have kids and don't have kids. And it's all about communication, right? And, and sharing, hey, these, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I can do versus what I can't and when I can and can't do it. I mean, there's certainly something to be said about getting the work done in the time frame it's meant to be done, but the extra hours, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think it is important to set boundaries regardless of any, you know, exactly what you said. It's very important. I also think as a leader, it's important to exemplify those boundaries. So I, I don't send an email after 6 p.m. I try not to. I use the delay email. So I set emails to like, if I, sometimes I work at night and because I'm traveling from, I'm on a plane and it's a great time. I work really well on planes. And so I set all the emails to be delivered the next morning. There's no need for somebody to get an email at midnight if it's not an emergency. So just set it to be delivered at seven in the morning. It'll be there when they wake up and it's fine. And so I think as a leader, you have to exemplify what you expect of others. And then it'll make the whole team be able to ease into that. And I ask my team, if you need me in the afternoon, if you need me, you know, at seven o'clock at night, at six o'clock at night, please call me. Don't send me an email because I am not checking my emails. But if you need me and the phone rings, I will answer in anytime, anytime in the middle of the night, whatever, like I will pick up the phone, but don't expect an answer on an email because... I'm not checking my emails. I am devoted to whatever it is that I'm doing. 
I try to be very present in wherever, whatever space I'm in. And so I think setting up boundaries is great, but also living by those, mm-hmm. exemplifying what you expect. Yep. And being okay with others when they set the boundaries as well, even if they're different from our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to shift gears and I want to talk about something you alluded to at the top of our conversation, which is your roommates from college. I think, and it brings a smile to my face too. And I think our listeners will enjoy this story. So, you know, we're talking about risk-taking. We're talking about trying things that you haven't tried before, stepping out. And you and your college roommates, you all have a tradition. And I would love for you to share with our audience what you guys do and how that relates back to trying new things. I think it's a fascinating story. Yeah. So it was a lot of risk taking, I would say at first. So this, when we graduated school, and I think uh, a lot of people who have recently graduated school, you find that your dollars don't go so far. And so meeting up with friends in different cities becomes a problem. And so there's always like, so we had this four girls, we have all lived together we still help each other out. I talk to them on a daily basis. And we're all very different. We're all completely different. We come from different backgrounds. We all, you know, but we were trying to meet up. And it was like, oh, you know, tickets to Dallas are so expensive. Oh, I'm now married. My husband, we're saving to go to get a house. You know, whatever. There's always an excuse. Always. Like there's always one person that cannot make it. And it, that started to become a little bit of like, we could see that becoming a problem. And so many years ago, 14 years ago, we decided we were going to do something called the great escape. And so the great escape is our trip. And here's how it works. I'll summarize it quickly. Every year, there's four of us. Every year, there's a designated coordinator and the coordinator shifts. The coordinate, there's a quota. So you have to, there's a, a budget and you send your budget to the coordinator. And I will say when we started, our budget was very low because we could not afford a whole lot, but you send your budget to the coordinator. The coordinator plans a trip. We agree on the date. So let's say the date is going to be the week of July 20th, for example, you block that. So at the beginning of the year, you block that in your calendar. You send your, your vacation, your PTO request to your boss so that you are, you know that those four days, and so this trip is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so you coordinate that. And the coordinator plans a trip a week before you get a packing list. And I will say you better bring everything that the packing <laughs> list says to bring, because otherwise you're probably going to be stranded. Uh-huh. And the night before you get a ticket, and that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. That's great. Share so some of the is, places that you guys have gone and, and how this has worked for you all. So we recently, we, so I just came back from the trip. We had it uh, three weeks ago. We went to Asheville, North Carolina. I uh, had never been to Asheville. No, you know, many of us had not been. And we went hiking for three days in the Blue Mountain Ridge. And it was absolutely amazing. So part of that packing list was hiking shoes. And that's why I say you better bring what it says. Because if you would have not had hiking shoes, you would have been quite stranded. So we've been to Cancun where it was more of like a relaxed beach scenario. We've been to Sedona where it was more about emotions and finding different things, a little bit of hiking, a lot of food. We all like to eat and drink. So a lot of our trips are based on food and wine. We've been to Vancouver. We've been to 
Panama, San Blas Beach in Panama. We have been to Costa Rica. Wow. Lots of uh, We've been so many places. places. Well, 14 different yeah. places over the years, right? And and so I love this idea that the, the planning doesn't fall on just one person or all four of you. That rotates every year. Sounds like that's predetermined, like you you know when you're up, right? <laughs> Whether yep. it's next year. I am next, actually. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 how exciting. And then, you know, everybody's committed. Everyone is in. And, and also what I love about this is because you don't know where you're going, you're forced into potentially trying something you've never tried, doing something that you might not select for yourself as as your vacation. And four days. I mean, that that's great. Enough time, but not too much. I just loved it when you shared this story with me. It's it's a great, you for sure will be doing something you would have not done. So it's living a vacation through somebody else's eyes. It's trusting your group of friends to go spend quality time doing whatever it is that the coordinator chose to do. We've never had a bad experience. If anything, it has bonded us even closer together. And it, it is just such a beautiful tradition that we have, I mean, I can't believe it's been 14 years. I can remember the first one like it was yesterday. Oh, wow. But, and it's so easy to, to skip over these moments with our girlfriends, to stop pouring into those relationships or make excuses. Work and life get really busy. And it can be easy to just say, I, guys, I can't, I can't make it this year. And you guys have kept this commitment. And that's what keeps this friendship so strong, it sounds like. Yeah. Just like I'm telling you, we've done it 14 years. It would have been easier to say we have not done it 14 years. It would have been, it would have been easier to come up with excuses for 14 years. We all had excuses. We all have very uh, involved careers and we're all, we all live in different cities and have different schedules. And some of us have kids and some of us are married and it would have been easier to come up with an excuse, but the commitment to each other and the commitment to what, what our bond is, is very important. And I, I don't share, as I said, I don't share a lot of background with them. We don't have a lot of things in common, but you bet if I need anything, those are my, my three roommates. They will do whatever it takes to get me through. Yeah. That's great. Such a beautiful uh, friendship to have. I have a group of women that I lean on. And uh, like you, we text every day and we see each other every week. And and you know, I mean, there are days where we are at each other's throats as if we were family, sisters. But you cross one of us, you cross all of us. You know they have your back if you ever needed something. So, yeah, they are some of my longest friendships. And I think it's important throughout your life, you know, you, you, you have to continue through your friendships, right? So I have a completely different group of friends. We don't meet as often because we all live in different continents, but that's my group of golfers that I grew up playing junior golf with. So we're, I'm actually heading to a reunion in two weeks. And that is going to be, we've been wanting to do this for probably 10 years, but we're meeting with all of my friends that my husband and I competed with when we were junior golfers. And so getting back to this friendships is so important. And keeping them right and then i have my group of colombian friends that i built and uh, and made here in dallas and they're so important for a different part of my life and it's a different type of support and they're i see them more often so we don't with my roommates i see them the 
sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year, my group of ones I see every week, but it's a different type of support. So I think you cannot expect one friend to be everything for you. You need to find different friends and mentors that fill all of your needs. And I think that's when you really feel supported. Yeah. And I think to add to that, not just that you can't expect one person or one group of friends to fulfill all your needs, you also need to recognize that you will go through seasons in your life and some friendships will ebb and flow, some will fall off, some will strengthen. It's all based on your growth over time and it's okay to release friends, you know, and it's okay to pick up new friends and recognizing that each person in your life serves a purpose. That has been valuable to me, something that I've seen. But I wish I'd known at a younger age that some people you just won't be friends with for a lifetime. And that's okay. They were great. And that friendship was great during that season of my life. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I think also you were friends. And at some point that friendship may be important to you again. So I have had several friendships where I reach out again and I'm like, Hey, I, you know, it's been seven years. I hope all is well. We, we stopped, we, we stopped connecting for some reason. I am now doing, you know, I'm now living in Dallas. I, I see that you moved. Can we connect again? And that's okay. And people appreciate that. So, and, and also with mentors, right? It might be like you had a mentor, you left the industry you stop talking for a few years or she stopped, she, you guys stop talking for a few years. I don't see anything wrong with reaching back out again mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, you know, wh- what are you up to? Mm-hmm. How can I continue to learn from you? You taught me so much yeah. when I was younger. Oh, I love that. That's really great advice. Very, very powerful. Kata, I have enjoyed chatting with you and getting to know you even better and sharing your story. So I appreciate you joining me before I let you go. As you know, the final question that I love to ask all my guests on that podcast is, what does the word fierce mean to you? I would say perseverance. Mm-hmm. Be perseverant and you will get where you want. It's, you know. Yeah, that makes you fierce. Yeah, be fierce, persevere, and the opportunity will come. I love that. Or you will find it. Yes. 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 <laughs> it's so nice talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've uh, you know, I'm it. a big fan of Fierce Lab. I hope that we can continue to stay in touch. And uh, I can't wait for Fierce Lab 2022 coming up. Uh huh. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for your time today. This has been great. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Fierce Lab. If you did, I would appreciate it if you would subscribe and maybe share it with a friend. You can always follow us on Instagram at Fierce Lab.